the the thing is is that your financial advisor doesn't really have a plan i mean the the the, the plan is babysit your money which is like having a teenager raise your kids um which they're not going to die but also they're probably not going to learn about some of the things they need to learn about in life ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace love joy and good health are the daily standard that's what this show is all about welcome to vibe and here's your host robin openshaw Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here. Welcome to the Vibe Show. We're taking a different approach today. We're bringing in somebody from, I guess you could say, commodities, finance, helping us pivot financially. I've done a lot of content on preparedness since 2020. You guys, in March of 2020, when they started canceling economies, supply chains breaking, the reason you haven't seen the breakage until this year is because of the dole. All the small businesses were on the dole. Every family got the dole. Every individual got the dole. Now we're seeing the breakage. And I read a book by sort of a secret weapon of our mastermind. We had E.B. Tucker in our Take Action for Freedom mastermind, which most of you aren't in. Um, But everybody loved him. And he talked to us about gold and silver. So welcome to the much larger audience at Vibe and all my platforms online at Green Smoothie Girl, E.B. Tucker. Thanks for having me back. So I read your book, Why Gold, Why Now, in 2020, and I'm now rereading it because somehow I got all the way through high school, college, and grad school with nobody ever teaching me about gold and silver, which have been money for 5,000 years. And some of the things that you said in your book in 2020 were so prescient. And reading it now, it blows my mind compared to when I read it in 2020. But I had invested in gold and silver before 2020. I grew up in a prepper family, in a prepper culture where we don't take it for granted that everything's going to be on demand like it has been. Can you tell us why you think they just don't teach gold and silver in the schools, even getting a master's degree in finance since like 1979, if Jim Rickards is to be believed? Yeah, well... What's crazier is nobody taught you about negative interest rates either, where the bank you know pays you to borrow. But that's kind of you know that's it's it's a whole different level. But I think the reason why I wrote the book and and uh, I've told you this before is that I had people, so many people calling me, smart people. They're like, "What do we do? What do we do?" This is in uh, April of 2020 that I, I got so frustrated that I was like, "I I I, I don't know. I'm gonna just write. I'm gonna write this book that's explaining to you what's happening because this makes sense to me." And I did it in 23 days. And people were like, how did you write the whole book in 23 days? Well, six pounds of coffee. That's the answer. But um, but the book, um, I, I'm glad you're reading it again, because as you know, it's about much more than gold. And really what I'm doing is I'm trying to show people how I think about things and how I look out at what's ahead. And uh, it, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, I always have a plan. You know, I took this aptitude test when I was 20. And the, the lady's like, well, if the building catches on fire, you should be the person to get people out. And I'm like, how does that help me at all with what to do with my life? And uh, you know, this is 25 years later. I'm not quite as young as I look. The um, it makes sense to me because the the thing is is that your financial advisor doesn't really have a plan. I mean, the the the, the plan is babysit your money, which is like having a teenager raise your kids. 
um, which they're not going to die, but also they're probably not going to learn about some of the things they need to learn about in life. And uh, what you figured out, which is wise, is that the school system's not helping you. Um, the healthcare system's not helping you. Is you know, like healthcare doesn't create better health. School doesn't create you know ability to live. And so these are realizing what am I supposed to do? Well, the the answer is you got to find people uh, like what we're doing here that that are that are will tell you what they think. They're not selling you anything. Um, they'll tell you what, what they think, and then you, what happens is you start thinking a different way. And then you'll find that if you do that for a little while and you put some effort into that, like listening to this podcast right now is educating yourself. So what do we do right now? Well, I mean, I have this, this, you know, gold bar here. Um, this is a thousand grams of gold. You know, it's, it's, it's not very big. It's kind of like, uh, I don't eat candy bars, but it's, it's a lot smaller than the candy bars I've seen at the grocery store. And, um, why would you want to own this thing? It doesn't make any sense. And and the answer, as you know from the book, is that you, you really don't want to own it to make money. You know, this this one ounce gold coin, it's not like this is going to fly up in value. I mean, I'm, I am not, as you know, a believer that like you wake up one day and the gold price is $20,000 and, you know, there's no gas and everything. I just think it's like that's extreme thinking. You know, I think extreme thinking, it's sometimes good to consider, but I don't think, you know, if you look back, even extreme times like 2008, there wasn't like this, you know, you still have to navigate, right? It's not like you just wake up tomorrow and because you bought some ounces of gold, you're just like super rich and everyone else is dumb. It's much more like gold is, is a representation of your hard work, you know? And, and so years and years ago, as I say in the book, you know, I was like buying one of these coins a month and uh, I didn't have that much money. And, um, you know, I had life to live. The Coins were like four hundred dollars, three hundred fifty dollars. This is very cheap, and um, and I was using it as savings, and and I didn't really care if it shot up in value. I thought coins were cool. I thought to buy a coin from like you know nineteen twenties or something was like the coolest thing, and I just got into that a little bit, and uh, this stuck with me. And so I always had this gold, and I had a lot less gold than people realize. Like uh, people say, like, what should I do? Should I buy one hundred percent of my? That's crazy. You know, it's it's really dead money. But what happens when you start buying it is it's real hold in your hand wealth. And just so everybody's clear, I don't have any gold to sell you, by the way. I don't have a, a website where I'm selling gold or anything. I don't really care if you buy gold or not, but I think it's something to learn about. There's, a, there's an amazing video right now uh, that the World Gold Council put out about gold. There's been a million people watched it in the first eight days that it, that it was out. And it's one hour and it tells all about how gold comes from the earth and what it's done historically and and what it could what it does for people why people like it and you don't see any of this on the mainstream on the mainstream news and so right now i think it's very important for people to okay you understand the basics of gold which you can get in the book it's also an audible by the way you can listen you can be while you're doing yard work or something you listen to me read you the book and uh and then to say to yourself okay what comes next well what happened because people talk about this stuff all the time. You and I have had emails about this. Is that you have this three hundred trillion dollar like confusing heaping pile of debt, and people don't really understand it because the average person thinks about the economy like it's an Ace Hardware store. You know, if you if you spend too much and you can't make payroll, then you're going to lose the store. And they think about it like like this, and and it doesn't really work that way. the 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 economic system is extremely complicated now. What you start figuring out, I've met all these people, I've met all these central bank types and all this stuff. 
is that the, the, the world's like a pyramid of power. And at the top of the pyramid, you, you can bet your bottom dollar there's as much or more fighting going on at that top of that pyramid as there is at the bottom of that pyramid. And, and so you start figuring out that you have this big system, and, and the system is not controlled by some cabal of people. Um, the proof is, is, that it, is that the system has been controlled by different groups over the years. I mean, the, I know this is hard to believe, but the Portuguese, I mean, if you've been to Portugal, you know, it's a lovely place, but it's very small. It's not a lot going on there. Controlled the world. They controlled the oceans. They had the whole thing. Then the Spanish, you've been to Spain. I mean, they have great pork and orange juice, but you can't picture them controlling the planet, all the silver. It's crazy. Then the British, you know, the sun never sets on the empire. Then, then the US, maybe the Chinese next. I don't know. Maybe some coordination between, who knows? But it's not a, you know, a, a, a three people behind a curtain doing this stuff. And so I think once you go through that evolution, you start realizing there's a flow of things going on here. There's greed, there's control, there's power, there's, there's uh, attempted you know, coups, there's all these things going on. And my job is not really to solve that. I mean, in fact, I'm a part of that. I'm a small cog in that wheel, okay? And having a couple ounces of these gives me one foot out of that boat. Interest rates in the U.S. are set by a group of people. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like, if you talk to anyone, they're like, it's a free market. But then they're like, we've decided the interest rate will be X. And it's like, if they did that for, you know, like Toyota Priuses or something, we, we would say, like, that's some communist closed market system. But when they do it for interest rates, people are like, oh, okay, it's 5%, whatever. It should be set by the savers, right? And if you save up 100 grand, you decide who you loan it to, you know, that, but we're not going to change that. But what we need to do is we need to look and say, what is this guy doing? What is this Powell guy doing? Well, they injected a lot of money into the system because this is a managed economy now. So they're managing the economy. So they pumped all this money in the system and now they're sucking it back out. And it's the equivalent of if, if the water's coming out of the pool, you want to be careful swimming. It's not a time to swim because you know, you're going to pop up for air and the, the shallow end is going to be exposed, you know, and, and, and that's a problem. You might jump in and hurt yourself. And so when the water's coming out of the pool, what do you do? Well, the thing you do right now is you, is you buy treasury bills and people are like, well, the U.S. government's going to go broke. Okay. Technically on paper, you're right. There's a two and a half trillion dollar deficit this year. Think about that. Two and a half trillion dollar debt, 2.5 trillion. That means Almost 20% of the value of all the gold in the whole planet that's ever been mined, 20% of that is being spent by the U.S. government this year in just phantom money. I mean, that's Interest payments. Well, the interest payments this year are set to be $750 billion, which is $50 billion shy of the Pentagon budget. So you're almost, you're almost spending more on interest than you are on uh, defending yourself. And that's going to go up, by the way, because the debt obviously doesn't roll over instantly. You know, they're refinancing all the time. And so that's going up, 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 up. And it's going to go definitely soon above the Pentagon budget. And sort of we have an incentive to hope they're successful because be very careful wishing for the U.S. to fail. I mean, we, we talked about the Great Taking book before. So I've been begging EB to go read this book. All of you should go read it. 
it's called thegreattaking.com is where you can find it. It's a former hedge fund manager um, who through the 80s, 90s, and O's, he's a few years younger than me. I'm almost 57. He's like 53. I've done a little investigation of him, but he basically says that there's two to four quadrillion dollars in derivatives, which is something I'd love for you to get to yeah. how to invest in gold besides the ones in your hand. That makes yeah. people really nervous because if you get very much of that, then you know somebody could come in and hold a gun to your head. Plus the government has confiscated it. So I'm I'm eventually wanting to, before we're done, get to what you think of all these derivatives because yeah. you guys, for every little gold coin or bar like EB has held up, Apparently, there's 800 times that many synthetic derivatives being traded on the underlying asset. And what David Rogers Webb says, after decades of building hedge funds from millions to billions and and investing billionaires' money, is that this whole thing is just a big construct. It's all designed to fail. It's not going to be owned by you in the end. You already don't own it. You have a security entitlement. You're at the bottom of the pile. You have a much weaker claim on it than all these other entities all the way up the chain, central banks, et cetera. So that's the backstory, everyone, because I have not talked about it on the podcast, but I'm glad that you read some of it, EB, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Okay. So, yeah. So I think think it is... I don't want to steal your thunder there, but I think it is timely because people can access that book you know, from their laptop and can read it. And David did tremendous work on, on putting this book together. Um, okay. Just so people understand, you were talking about the, the coin and then over here is the price of the futures, which would, that, that's already people feel like something they can't understand, but it's actually very simple. What that is, is that people are trading these pieces of paper that are attached to the value of gold in December right now. Now, you can do it all the way out to like two years from now, but they're just betting. They're betting on the price. And so the gold price is 1960. The futures price is 1970 in December. That means there's a $10 spread to bet on the December price. And if it goes to 2000 by December, then you made 30 bucks in the future, but you never touched an ounce of gold. Okay. Well, how much of this is out there? Well, there's $120 billion worth of paper gold trading right now. So, the actual ounce doesn't really, you know, I have my gold dealers listed in the book. You can call them up and buy an ounce of gold. This doesn't really trade. This doesn't set the price. So the price, it, imagine if the price of gas or something was not set by demand at the pump. Or if you had thousands of people buying houses in your neighborhood that they didn't live in. That's the kind of the way people can understand it, is that it's, is that it's a piece of paper that gives you a bet on the price of a house in that neighborhood, but has nothing to do with an actual house in that neighborhood, you know, whereas this is a house you live in. Okay. And so right away, people start coming up with these big numbers and they're like, okay, two to four quadrillion. The answer is he probably doesn't actually have the right number because it's almost impossible to figure out what they've done with this system. I'm just telling you that hedge funds don't really buy stocks, okay? They don't really invest in stocks the way average people do. What they do is they make these synthetic bets. The bank will create a product for you, and they'll say, well, for a million dollars, you can have $50 million worth of upside, and then you know we'll give you that. We'll sell you that for a million through December. And then the, then the bank hedges that on the other side. Well, now you have $50 million 50 million, 1 million, they have 50 million. You start piling all this on, you have this gigantic 
series of bets going on on everything you can possibly imagine. The guy in Saskatchewan on the tractor farming the wheat has no idea that that bushel of wheat has thousands of bets in every different direction from everything from bread makers to speculators to people. That guy's just guy or girl is farming up that wheat, you know, and is thinking, boy, I hope I can get it all in before the first freeze. And that's how you should see your economic system. I mean, I remember I took one guy on a trip to see a gold mine and he goes, oh, look at that. There's a Home Depot. He's like, I've never seen one before. Think about that. So lived in lower Manhattan, worked in lower Manhattan, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars of trades around the housing sector in the past. Never seen a Home Depot before. Okay, so that gives you some idea of how this works. So you have to step one foot in and learn this stuff, but then one foot out and try to not be too radical with your conspiracy thinking because they're going to keep you believing in the game. If you don't believe in the game, it's not a game anymore. I want to point out that along the lines of what you're saying, I don't know if you have gotten to the end of David Rogers Webb's book, thegreattaking.com, everyone, at least go read the preface. You won't be able to stop reading. And the last 30 pages are just his citations where he proves what he's saying. Um, But he, the thing that has stayed with me a few weeks after listening to that is that this guy was completely obsessed with figuring out what this big bloated system full of hot air, the biggest balloon, the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world, what it was all about. And he could get an audience with anyone. And he got an audience with George Soros twice. Now, some of us know that George Soros was able able to bring the Bank of England down. Like he has gamed whole entire economies. He has destabilized countries. We think of him as them, right? He's got to be some of them. And he, when David Webb went to meet with him, Soros looked at his page of analysis, which is showing the, he doesn't even know. I mean, two to four quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives is obviously a big spread. It's a big guess. I know there's a congresswoman who took on um, derivatives and she got her career destroyed right fast. But anyway, George Soros said to him after looking at his work and saying, this is good, this is really good. He said, because David Webb was very alarmed and said, this whole thing is a giant bubble. And like, what's going to become of all of us who've been trying to, you know, purchase assets in this whole system? I'm talking about real estate, stocks, bonds. And and George Soros said to him, you don't know what they can do. So notice he's saying they, as in he doesn't seem to put himself inside that group of people who are running the world. So there must be a whole layer beyond the ones we see, like the Bill Gates and the George Soroses of the world. But he also said they will never let equity culture fail. And what that means to me, I don't know if you read that or if that that really Mm -hmm. was interesting to you too, but what that means to me is kind of like what you're saying is that they are highly motivated to keep this whole balloon inflated. They would like to keep the billions of people on the planet who've been saving money for decades and think they're going to retire and they've got these pensions and these assets that they never get a piece of paper to prove that they have stock or bond or whatever. They are going to keep this appearance of equity or ownership by all of us useless eaters going one way or another, which is interesting. Yes, correct. I kind of came full circle on this, you know, over my whole career, you know, where in the beginning I was like in a rabbit hole. And it's interesting because my my perspective 
is along the lines of how he concludes is that you have to know this stuff. And then you have to know that what Soros, Soros gets a really bad rap. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for him as a person, but there's a couple important things that, that he said in his life, like this thing that, you know, David quotes is important. Another thing he said that he's famous for is when you see a bubble, when you see any bubble in going on in the market, don't get upset about it. Help them blow it. Help them blow it up, right? So it's important to think about that because what he's saying is, is that he's a mercenary. It's like, you know, he's saying that like when you see the Bank of England, he didn't just break the pound for no reason. He was like, this is a reverse bubble. Like I'm going to step on it and see if I can pop it. I think we need to have that philosophy too, right? Like we're not going to live in a tent and buy 100% of our worth in gold and bury it in a tube in the ground. You, you got to, to some degree, play the game that's in front of you with the knowledge that it's only a game. And then once you have that knowledge, then you can play it with ease and you're no longer baffled. Our point here is, is that we want people to see that like, it's not too much for you. It's not too much for you. You can, you can, you know, learning is a, is a fun journey. That's in my newsletter, which we can talk about, evtucker.com is a free newsletter. And, and that's what I do is I, is I say like, look, I'm going to tell you every two weeks, something that I am learning about that, that I'm going to explain to you. Like you can tell your friends, you know, at, at a dinner party about it, you will understand how this or that works, you know, because I'm, that's, that's what I do. You know, I, I, I share things that I've learned and I enjoy doing that. And you, you do the same thing. Right. And so I think people, now's the time to wake up, right? Because we're right on the cusp. We're right on the cusp of big material changes and nobody knows what to do. Do you notice that? Everybody will tell you like, oh, the interest rates are about to come back down. Oh yeah, really? Are they really, are they really going to, you know, and uh, everybody believes that. And usually what everybody believes is, is wrong. And so it's a great time to, you know, to spend a few minutes or a few hours, you know, getting up to speed. Yeah, I probably spend 20 hours a week listening to economists, market analysts, um, stockbrokers, the ones who are playing at a high level, they've been in it for decades. They're very articulate on the big shows. And if there's a common that thread with all of them, it's we don't know what the hell to invest in. This whole thing is unprecedented. But I think one of the things that you're saying, if I can just clarify and see if you agree with me on this, is because I've had a very similar view of being totally obsessed with, well, who does run the world? Where are they taking this? And I've arrived at a similar conclusion that they are fighting. A, a bunch of entities are fighting at the top. I don't know that that's something to get excited about because I would rather, much rather be under Louis the Sixteenth or Napoleon than in the five years of democracy where that just degenerates fast into infighting and little groups and populism and fascism always comes out of that situation where there's a there's a vacuum of power and everything falls down like all these anarchists who are saying let it burn let's burn it down i'm like okay the thing called the terror in the french revolution like i would mm -hmm. that in that whole saga i would rather avoid that five years where everybody's you know sending everybody to the guillotine and the vacuum of power is actually far more terrifying to me than the biden administration or any of these others and i'm not arguing for tyranny but i feel like one thing that all of us need to realize who have been waking up or whatever you want to call it since 2020 
And, you know, my, my waking up was long before 2020 and the fact that I figured out how fraudulent so much of the pharmaceutical industrial complex is, the military industrial complex is. I knew that the Federal Reserve was a bunch of banksters forming this. It's, it's not any more federal than Federal Express is. I knew that 10 years before 2020 hit. So in the waking up process, you have to remind yourself, this is new. You're just new to learning about it. And it would probably be overkill and overreaction to grab every dollar you have out of the bank, put it in gold coins, bury it in an underground vault and hide in your corner because they're going to spin this fiction for a good long time to come. I don't think they're particularly ready to completely change everything. I'm curious what you think about that and what you think is going to happen with CBDC. Do you think they'll bring up yeah, the CBDC yeah. and, and no savings right. and not allowed to save? That, 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 that's a lot of topics, but let me summarize. The first thing you said was be careful what you wish for, which I agree with because, because, you know, you, you cheer for the, uh, revolution and then you go, uh Oh, it actually happened. It's not as you know great as I thought. Uh, I think what you find is that it, like in star Wars, the good side is not like radically better than the bad side. It's like 51% good, 49% bad. And there's a nice, resistance there and the good guys do win but like not without a fight and uh, that's kind of what you want you know you, you kind of want things to be challenged um so that they're like this you know this is a system that's good for me and you and the average person as well you know like you don't want that's like what's going on with interest rates is bad right now because like it's not good for the average worker i mean people got to understand that like to take interest rates from zero to five and a half overnight is not good for your employer. I mean, who has uh, uh, a commercial real estate loan rolling over, who has uh, inventory management problems, and now declining sales because money's coming out of the economy. It's a huge problem. And you need more money because everything's more expensive. At the wrong time, you need more money. They cut you back to 30 hours to avoid giving you better. It's like all this stuff's going on at the same time. It's not good for you. What would be good for you is some stability. Um, now, not artificial stability, but you know we've gotten into this zone where we don't we can't have markets anymore. Like we, you shoot all this money in, you know, in 2020 to protect from something, and then you got to suck all that money back out, but not too fast because something will break. And then once something breaks, and you come to the rescue and try to find equilibrium. And this is like managing a heroin habit, which it's not that it's impossible; it's just extremely difficult. And no one's ever done it. So that that's one point I think that you're spot on about and if people can see that you and I see it this way, I think it's helpful to realize that that you can navigate. Um, now the, the CDBC, I mean that's coming. Okay. So like think about this. Uh, I know a lot of people in the in the islands that that um, you know it's just like suitcases, duffel bags full of cash back in the days. And you know, so anyway, so that's all done. You had FACTA come into place 2014. It's impossible to have a bank account overseas. This law during Obama called FACTA, what, what, what this means is like if you're an institution in France or something and you take one customer who has a social security number, you have to report your entire business activity annually to the treasury. So to avoid that, you have to take no people with social security number, all right? So like FACTA made that the law. And the, the reason is because the US needed a dragnet to know everything that's going on everywhere so that nobody could could leave the sandbox, right? It's not really probably a, a great idea in the long term, but like, you know, dominance, you you, you hold on to control. 
Um, so that's going on. And so if you notice the hundred dollar bill, you know, there was a, there was a $500 bill, you know, there, there were, there were much larger bills, um, back in the day, you know, you could have a thousand dollar bill at one point. And so we slowly went down to a hundred dollar bill, the blue hundred dollar bills are the biggest bill and a hundred dollars, you know, depending on where you are is, I mean, in, you know, in New York, it's like, you can have an average lunch for two, uh, for a hundred bucks. And, um, you know, back when there was a thousand dollar bill that represented, uh, a, approximately, you know, 40 ounces of gold, you know, maybe 45 ounces of gold. So I mean, if you think about that in those terms, you know, the, the loss of value is drastic and forget about the whole inflation argument. Like that's kind of irrelevant. The, the, the deal is, is that they've never, you know, you would think they would keep making bigger bills. I mean, you go to like South Korea or, you know, it, you get these like gigantic bills. You know, and I was in Japan this summer. You go to buy something, and it's like you know, seventy-two thousand yen or something. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. But anyway, uh, you think, but they didn't do that. They kept the hundred. So, so like what they've done is they've they've strategically kind of wrung out the towel on cash. You think that cash is on its way out? I mean, they did not reopen all those ATMs. They closed when they were trying yeah. to tell us that you would get COVID from from cash. Yeah. Plus, you have yeah. to insure those things. So you you think that they're just trying to think of every way this is what I'm observing yeah. trying to think of every way possible to disparage the use of cash act like only criminals use cash because they know cash is going to be obsolete and everything's going to be within their CBDC and FedNow yeah, rails right Definitely 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 I mean okay so cuz if you're from the 80s or something you remember how awesome it was to have like get some cash I mean you feel flush you know and you like you, anyway it was, like, it was like a personal empowerment thing so, I mean, yeah. we got to get rid of that. We got to squash that. And so we've pretty much done it. I mean, you like, um, I'm a big coffee nut. So, so I'll go to like, you know, the high end coffee places when I'm in the town and, you know, I want to see like what's going on and, uh, none of them take cash anymore. Right. I mean, it's like no cash. And I, and I'm like, I bet you if the power went out, you would take, they're like, no, we wouldn't. I'm like, so what would you do? You know what I mean? Like you, you would just like free coffee or something, or what would we, would we, would we barter? You know, it's, they, they never thought about it because they come from an era where, cash is bad, you know, it's, it's inconvenient. Who has the time to learn how to count when you're vaping with one hand and Instagramming with the other hand, like you don't have time to reach into the register, like make change for people. So, I mean, it's on the way out. It's done. They're moving towards digital currency. The digital currency is, is been created. It's not going to be pancake coin, which by the way, is my favorite crypto token. Pancake coin. It's a real thing. It had a $7 billion valuation at its peak. It has a $250 million valuation now. The actual value is zero. And so I, I keep an eye on Pancake Coin because when it finally reaches its proper value, I know that it's probably time to buy Bitcoin. But the the central bank digital currency is not going to be, you know, one of these 13,000 tokens that are out there. And it's not going to be Bitcoin. You know, it's going to be um, a cryptographic technology that's behind that underpins some of the things that make Bitcoin uh, probably the most interesting monetary investment there's ever been. But it doesn't mean buy Bitcoin because the government's going to use it or something. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's not, it also doesn't mean Bitcoin's going away. It just, it, it means two different things at the same time. And so you will be on a blockchain. You will be tracked. Every single dollar that you spend will be traced to you by serial number on a blockchain. And if you're a naughty girl, you will not be able to spend on martinis anymore because we will restrict your social spending. You will only be able to spend on home improvement or servicing your debts, which we will just take right out of your account or, you know, food, but nothing extravagant. And 
I think people see that that does a few things for the government. Number one, it eliminates counterfeiting. That's done. It eliminates uh, uh, tax evasion. Okay, that's done. And it gives total control of every citizen uh, because you can't leave anymore because of FACA, which we talked about. And so now every serial number bill, you know, you'll play by the rules or else you'll be taken out of the game. But we still got to make the game fun. So we have to tell stories about people. Like I'm reading the Musk biography right now. It's very good, actually. Uh, it's been in, a bit inspirational in the beginning. Some of the things he went through were interesting to read about. Uh, but it is to some degree financial entertainment because we have to build up these people, these, these, these stories of, of wealth creation so that you believe in the system. It's not like they're not true, right? It's, but it's like they're not quite as they appear. But, but we have to keep you excited about capitalism so that you'll keep showing up at the auto factory and you know bolting plastic GM cars together so that you can service your home loan. We have to keep all this moving. Yeah, I'm, I've never heard you talk about Bitcoin before, but I heard the economist Lynn Alden, who just published a book called Broken Money, um, I heard her say, and this was on, honestly the, mo- the best distillation of my main use case for Bitcoin. I don't, I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. I have some gold. I have some Bitcoin. I still have money in short-term treasuries and in the bank. I run my business with money in the bank. I'm not pulling the plug on all that. And like I said, hiding in the corner. But she said that Bitcoin is offshoring for the middle class. And you alluded to really briefly earlier that the whole offshoring thing, I mean, they've kind of cut off the the ramps to offshoring. And for me, that's why for my children, for my store of value, for that work that's represented in that gold coin, same thing, but in digital money form, since we've become so digitized. Sort of. But, okay, so I have a friend who I went to reform school with that was at one point a notorious hacker, and he uses no encryption on his phone. And I asked him why. And he goes, he looks over at me. We're having omakase sushi in LA. He looks over at me and he goes, why hide what they already know? (laughs) And so, and so he will be the first one to tell you. I mean, this is like an Asperger's guy that's like, you know, can crack anything. He's like, they know exactly where the cold storage Bitcoin is. So don't for a minute be thinking that you've got a, as Obama once said, a Swiss bank in your pocket. It's not true. Um, Everything has risk. This has risk because later tonight when I go to yoga, some bandits could come in here and take it off my desk and it's gone and they can melt it down and they can make gold teeth out of it or something and you would never know where it came from. So the digital money has risk too. Now, I think the way to look at it is if you have enough money, that you're trying to position yourself for life going forward, you know, then you would say, if I have enough money, it's sensible to own a Bitcoin. Okay. A small percentage, very small, is sensible to own a Bitcoin. Maybe some Ethereum, but I think Bitcoin is probably the best. It's not sensible to own Pancake Coin under any circumstances. If you're wealthy enough, you need to have some real estate, you need to have some gold, you need to have some stocks, you need to have some T-bills. You, need to, you have to start playing a different game. You know The problem with people that are trying to make something themselves is they're gambling all the time. They constantly think they need to do something that catapults them into this next level of Instagram fame or something. It doesn't work that way. I mean, you and I both know that 
it's a long marathon. And so to run a marathon, you have to run at a pace that you can keep running at for a long, long time. And if you have an accidental gain, then you consider yourself lucky and you use that to make a concrete platform that you can grow off of. You don't use that to then catapult your way to some other level. So yeah, I'm not really a big crypto person. I, I've, I've In 2016, I pitched to the publisher I was working for at the time that I thought that blockchain would be the plumbing of a new financial system. And they told me it was too complicated for people to understand. As you know, it was like a year later that Bitcoin became somewhat mainstream and ran to 18,000 and then it went to 3,000 and then went to 70,000. But the reason why it went to 70,000 is because the U.S. government pumped multiple checks into your mailbox. And then you took those checks and rightfully started gambling on everything in sight. And, and all those things that you gambled on have to come back to earth, okay? SPACs and Reddit stocks and, and everything has got to come back to earth. And so the way you need to be thinking about it is let me think about all the things that I did during that time and assessing how close to earth they are, how close to sea level are those things. And they're getting close, by the way, because most of the, I had dinner with a banker in New York two weeks ago. He told me that all these SPACs that they did, they're all busted. They're returning all the money, and you know it's like the the ones that got done are like a dollar now, you know, and whatever. So it's all stacks. done. My audience doesn't. So, know sorry, things. sorry. So the spec is like how everybody. So what what happens is like they 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 sell a stock, a new stock for ten bucks, and the purpose of that stock is to find a private company and to buy that company so that it goes public fast. And so this has been around for a long time, but it came popular in 2020 because people were like. We got to go public tomorrow. And so the SPAC people, this is a special purpose acquisition company, they would have this $10 stock and they'd be like, hey, we'll take your company public like tomorrow, but we get to keep 20% of it just for putting all the paperwork together, you know, for licking all the stamps, the SEC. And so then they would go public and then the thing would shoot up, you know, and then it would crash down. And so people would be baffled because they didn't know what happened. But what happened was that the people that put the deal together sold and made like huge money. And so all the New York guys, I mean, not just New York, but like, you know, California too. But I mean, all the finance people were, were like, we got to do as many of these things as possible. They took everything public you can imagine, even things that shouldn't be public. And a lot of people, a lot of people listening here probably bought one of those stocks that crash. Like you have no idea why, but that's why. And that's all done. Yeah, we see chaos everywhere we look. I sold um, my real estate in three states. I had... I sold like 20 units. I didn't. I saw what was going to be coming with tenants and I didn't want to have to deal with tenants and all their problems, meaning that they were squatting in apartments that they couldn't pay the rent on. Well, I kept a few doors and guess what? None of them are paying rent. It's yeah. uh, October 19th as we talk about this. And I got two tenants who did not pay my rent for October, but I wanted to stay exposed to real estate because real estate is actually something that is a real store of value, something that we actually need. Yeah. So Let's let's wrap up and we'll tell everybody where to find you. I a little funny side note is that I reached out to you because my um, paying mastermind audience really loved you, and I was like, "Well, let's take E.B. Tucker out on my bigger platform." Um, but you, when you wrote me back, you were like, "Hey, I started a Substack, and my Substack is only like I don't know, sixteen months old or something like that." And I went on there because it's free speech, right? Like I can say what I want about the uh, toxic injection. 
who knows how that gets edited, you guys. As soon as I said toxic V, I lost my internet. And that's not the first yeah. time that's happened. That's happened to me a few times the last month. Um, we fritzed. And so we'll see if we can stitch this thing back together in editing. But my point is, I, you sent me your Substack, And I looked on it. And I was like, hey, this guy out of finance, his former Stansberry investing writer wrote this book, Why Gold, Why Now? Your article that you sent me was about this guy, Brian Johnson. And I had just spent all weekend geeking out on Brian Johnson, who spends $2 million a year on his health. He is absolutely OCD. He goes to bed with all these wires attached to his head. He takes 111 pills a day. He eats from 6.30 in the morning to 11.30 in the morning. He, I mean, that's all the biohackers. It's all the people like me. We all had a health crash and we're all a little bit PTSD. And so we do a lot of things. And and I, I know that you're a health nut too. I've heard you say that yeah. many times. And so it's like, you're the finance guy who's been talking about health and wellness stuff. And I'm the health and wellness person who's talking about macro and finances and how to protect yourself financially. So we're basically like the mirror image of each other. So I'd love for you to do two things while we wrap. One is I know that you like to actually have physical gold in your possession, but I think you also invest in gold mining. So just tell us if there's other ways that you think based on this whole, you know, proposition that there's all these paper, paper gold out there, all these synthetic derivatives that don't have any actual, you know, you know, don't actually have a claim on the asset or not a strong claim on the asset, just trading all kinds of trades, longs and shorts. And I don't understand them all. Um, ebtucker.com is the, is the place to go. And, and if you're trying to learn, you know, ebtucker.com, you can read for free. Uh, if you really like it, you can, you can see the portfolio and, and be, you know, join up and you can quit anytime. I don't have anything to sell you. Um, there's no solicitations. It's every other Thursday at 9 a.m. You automatically get an email. You don't hear from me at all between that time. And it's a platform for me to say, like, this is what's happening. This is what I see happening. And this is what I think is going to happen next. And I think people have been missing that. So, so I think when it comes to, when it comes to gold, the, the number one thing is in the, in the sub stack, you know, down at the, at the portfolio table that I have my gold dealers listed there, people can access. So that's a physical gold. A lot of people want to play gold stocks. The trouble with gold stocks is that as the water goes out of the pool right now, which we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the, the gold stocks go with it. So um, it's very dangerous because the gold stocks are very sensitive. You know, As, as things turn, they kind of go bananas, right? But until that happens, I mean, it's like major pain. I mean, I mean, I don't know if people can really see, but this is the gold stocks. There's a lot of red. A lot of red over here. And that red gets worse until all of a sudden you know, things kick into gear. And so you just, it's kind of like, that's, that's the adult table and, uh, people gotta be really careful there because I took a guy to see a gold mine a few weeks ago, who's like really enamored and has got a huge trade on and just wanted to meet in person. And I don't have anything to sell him, but he contacted me and I was interested in going on a trip. And, and he, I said, don't forget you're in a graveyard. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, look, you know, that's a graveyard. Okay. So you're in a graveyard partying. Well, the lights will come on and things will get fun and crazy at some point. But um, until that happens, you're in a graveyard. You don't want to be the next grave. So so I think people need to understand that, you know, in the book, I talk about physical gold. And then you've got, you know, this opportunity to have exposure to when, when a gold really takes off, you know, the, and I think you have time on that. I think it's good time to educate yourself, to, to learn, but I don't think it's, um, I think it's really dangerous and people should understand. I tell some stories in the book, as you know, of, of, things that I've seen that just like literally made my head spin where there was just money poured 
into a hole in the ground that proved Mark Twain right, what he said about gold miners, which everybody should look up because it's really true. So I think I think it's time, always a good time to learn about physical gold and then you know do something there. And then when you learn, you know, about the equities, you, you do something different. I mean, this year we've we've had a lot of success in energy stocks, not in companies that are producing oil so much as different like parts of the energy space that people don't really think much about. You know, there's been a big diesel shortage. There's been a big shortage of offshore uh, supplies, you know, for, for rigs. And so the portfolio that I run at ebtucker.com is for the paid members is the portfolio I manage for a trust. So I've been hired as a trustee for, for a trust to manage the stock portion. There's other things going on, but the stock portion. And so I explain to people, you know, we're not gambling here. This is it's also not boring, by the way, but um, we're doing things that we can say we like this business. We like this business. You know, it makes something people need, makes money, pays a dividend. We're not that concerned if the market is down a bunch and the business is like down a couple of percent. We don't really care. We're we we want to be in that business, you know, and we want to be in that business like we own it personally. That's how we think about it. And so I walk people through how I make those decisions. Uh, there's not high turnover in the portfolio, but there is some moving around, you know, and explain why we're doing that. And uh People can see that, and they have 24-hour advance notice before I act on behalf of the trust, which I think people appreciate. Yeah, we're not giving you financial advice. We're not financial advisors, but I am going to put a link to um, the gold dealer I have really, really liked that I got actually from EB's book, Why Gold, Why Now? Back in 2020, I really like him because he's been doing this for decades. He's kind of a one-man shop with an assistant they ship fast. They're super honest. He, he He's had opportunities to screw me over and he hasn't. And the link to, uh, or the phone number for him, he's old school and you're going to call him. Um, and I'm going to put a link to ebtucker.com in the show notes. Um, I'm sure that a lot of that sailed over the heads of my health and wellness oriented, mostly upper middle-class audience. Some of them have been following me for 15 and 17 years, but I like um, EB's content, what we, what he's talking about that has this portfolio of how he invests his money is like in that Brian Johnson article, which is pretty entertaining all by itself. But down at the bottom, I was like, whoa, this is pure gold. I don't know that the people who want to read about Brian Johnson um, are going to get down here to the bottom where he t- talks about how he's invested his money, which looks very similar to how I invest right now too, in a very, very fraught climate. So EB, thank you so much for being with us and hopefully people will come and, and follow you as you launch your Substack career. So thank you thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much. It's the only place people can find me is ebtucker.com, nowhere else. And it's so good to see you and and uh, I always love catching up with you and I uh, hope we can come back next year and kind of see how things played out. I think it's going to be Let's exciting. Do it. We'll yeah. do it. Thanks everyone. Bye now. Bye.